Welcome to the Spearline Podcast. Each episode, we talk to thought leaders in the technology and telecoms industry from all around the world. In this episode, Mike and I are delighted to be joined by Ola Budak. Ola is a technical solutions architect here in Spearline. She has a wealth of knowledge around all things testing and WebRTC. We talk to Ola about the future of voice, reflect back on how things have changed in the telecoms industry over the years, the trend towards WebRTC, and we cover the acquisition of TestRTC, the Israeli WebRTC testing company. Enjoy the episode and remember to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. So welcome to the podcast, Ola. Mike and I are delighted to have you here today. Thank you. Welcome, everyone. Um, so to start with, let's reflect back. So way back in the day, the telephone used to be a community thing and was traditionally accessed by going to the post office. Then, um, this would be the time that I remember, the telephone became a household thing and phone numbers were as solid as a street address. Then they went mobile, the phone number being attached to the person and being carried around everywhere a person goes. So they started out as a big brick, but quickly they became smaller with greater processing power. And with access to data networks, the mobile phone became the smartphone that we know today. With that data network, applications have sprung up to support communications that don't incur per-minute billing, and we've all adapted to using apps like WhatsApp with some groups, Fiber with others, etc. So these days, younger consumers don't dial. They use apps, and they may not even know their own phone numbers. So do you both agree that things have changed? I, I would say that they have, for sure. Uh, and, and I'd say I'm, I'm the oldest around um, in, in this particular group anyway. Um, but I, I did not necessarily live in the era, but my grandparents would have lived in the era where to make a phone call was to go to the post office or to go to the shop where the kind of local telephone was. But I certainly recall, you know, traveling and, and going into the post office to make a phone call back home and, and let family know that I was safe, you know, and you'd go in and, and you'd pay your money in advance and you'd only have so many you know, minutes or seconds on the call and you just say, I'm fine, everything's well, I don't need any money, boom, and, and then you'd get dial tone again because the call would be terminated. Uh, things have changed an awful lot since then, for sure. Yeah, I do agree too. I live in Ireland and my family is away in Poland. So um, previously we would communicate with each other via phone, but at the moment, you know, it's all either Skype or any other meeting that we can uh, interact with each other. So, yeah, I do agree. Everything changed so much and it's, you know, evolving very quickly. Uh, we don't know how the communication is going to look like in, in the next decade. You know, there may be something completely new uh, coming up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and it's changing at a more rapid rate now, you know, potentially than ever before. But I, I remember when the telephone was in the house and it was and it still is in many houses, um, but they're 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 fading as well. But when I was in the house um, initially, when I was young anyway, it was it was either plugged into the wall and therefore stuck on a on a kind of corner table in the hallway or it was kind of hung on the wall in the kitchen typically or something. And, you know, you, you were tethered to that particular spot. So whenever there was a conversation, everybody kind of gathered around that one spot. And then we had the, the advent of, you know, battery powered cordless phones that you could actually take into a different room for a bit of privacy. Um, and, and that was a huge technology leap. And then there was suddenly, you know, cheaper phones and you could have a phone upstairs and a phone downstairs or 
you know, multiple phones in the house was a concept that just gave particularly younger people kind of freedom to have that. OK, I want to go and talk with my friends over in the other room um, now with the smartphone in their hand. Obviously, it's 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 a completely different um, world. You know, young young people today wouldn't have been able to cope with. You mean that I have to stay here in the kitchen and, and sit on this particular chair and talk to my friends in the presence <laughs> of everybody? Yeah, I'd say so, they couldn't even imagine something like that. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, I think that means the art of conversation is changing, um, though, though a pandemic might have kind of reignited some conversation. Um, so who knows? Uh, and definitely the pandemic has changed the way we all have communicated because we all went into these lockdowns and, and semi-isolation. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, since the pandemic started, um, it has forced a remote working model for many businesses. And there's, there's been a huge shift from PSTN minutes to device to device communications. And there were multiple dramatic situations such as networks adjusted to changes in demand. And there were situations where faults could not be addressed due to restricted movements for engineers during lockdown. And governments quickly prioritized networks as essential. Um, would you have noticed situations like this? Well, we've certainly found um, with, with our, our Spearline customer community um, that networks are essential, absolutely essential. And, and even businesses that would not have said so two years ago that, that kind of relied on footfall into their premises or whatever, they're now doing transactions that are remote and they're engaging with customers over the phone. And, and not every transaction requires a voice call. But when you're talking about anything that is high value or technically complex or you know, it needs a bit of explanation or support. You know, absolutely. People people still want to talk to people so that they can understand that they're making the right decision uh, and investing in the right product or the right service. Um, so it is really, really important that um, the networks are available, that they're supporting businesses and what they're trying to achieve, and, and they're connecting them to their, their consumer markets. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, with, with the pandemic, um, as you mentioned, case before, it, it came obviously suddenly. We knew that, um, you know, this kind of remote working will become a fact, but it was it was coming in gradually. It, it wasn't coming in, you know, at once. But um, at this time, we all did not have a choice but to adapt to the new situation and kind of new style of living, new style of co communicating. So working from home before it was an option available for some, uh, now it became a fact. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I go back years ago to the days of kind of mainframe computing and water-cooled computers and whatever. Um, in, in those days, some of the manufacturers actually designed their systems with the idea that if something failed, there was backup. So there was redundancy in the design, but they didn't design those then um, so, so that, you know, systems were completely available and there was like belts and braces everywhere. They designed it so that when a service engineer had to go to the site, that service engineer would do five things or six things. They would wait for the number of faults to accumulate to justify the, the, the cost of sending an engineer to the site. In the telecoms world, we've built in all of these redundancies and, and self-healing network technologies, not so we could avoid sending engineers, but so that the flow of communications was always kind of there. Um, and, and as soon as there's a fault, we would send an engineer to the site to address the problem, or at least at the, the nearest convenience, depending on, you know, the severity of the, the, the fault itself and the potential exposure. But it's always been go and fix it and, you know, fix it as soon as possible, because 
there there is a kind of a natural waterfall demand on the telecoms network, and and you just can't wait for faults to accumulate. But with the pandemic and the lockdowns and the lockouts from data centers, where all this you know fancy telecoms equipment um, is residing, there were faults accumulating, and that meant capacity was reducing, and there was problems. We certainly saw that in in some of the early areas, like in in China and Italy, where the uh, the early pandemic stresses were felt. Um, now that, I suppose, now that um, there, there's a clear recognition um, that, that we're all reliant on this uh, and, and networks are essential, I think that the, the doors are open. And if we are, hopefully we're not heading back in any further lockdowns, but if we were to, um, you know, those, those engineers and technicians that have to go and do that work would be treated with the same respect as our healthcare workers and, and, and others. Um, it's diff- different, but but the same kind of, you know, yeah. essential. And w- would you see networks ramping up their capacity so that you know if something if if another lockdown did happen, there would be more availability? Yeah, that that's hard to say. Um, you know, back back during the big tech boom, there had been a lot of capacity build out. This is my my estimation anyway. There'd been a lot of capacity build out on on speculation, and when the the kind of dot com boom became the dot bomb. Um, and, and the market fell kind of asunder. Businesses were very, the, the telecoms businesses were very cautious to overinvest in, in capacity. So they were working their capacity models very, very tightly. And then at the same time, transitioning from, you know, older technologies into more IP-based core networking. So I would say there's a level of cautiousness about overinvesting, but something in that technology space certainly has to be available to us that 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 can shift the demand as as we saw demand went from the big commercial centers um, and 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 shifted into these residential centers so people went from the office where they had a fine broadband connection to a housing estate where they had their private connection and and that mightn't seem like a big change but from a physical network delivering services into a place it changed the demand pattern on all that network equipment, and, and there was a lot of adjusting that had to take place. So, you know, how can we make that that adjustment to be more fluid and more automated, um, more elegant and less painful? I think there's some technology changes to be had there, but I think we'll still see a level of you know economic concern about overinvesting in in capacity prior to its need. Yeah, yeah, and and speaking of demand and capacity. I'm sure the pressure was felt when everyone started using Zoom calls, uh, as everyone seemed to call it, be it for work or at the weekend with friends, um, regardless whether they're using the, the Zoom app or another one like Google Hangouts or Skype, the term has become Zoom calls and they're largely done via computer communications. Would you agree? What I think about it is that uh, we don't know what is ahead of us. So yeah. um, it, you could be right um, it may be, uh, you know, everything would re- rely on computer communications, but there may be something new, you know, mm. there, there may, may be something very futuristic, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, like we were all unsure, you know, it's nearly like, I always laugh because I, I like science fiction books and so on. And um, it often happened that um, uh, whatever the author was uh, writing about, if it goes about, you know, technology and so on, it's becoming mm. a true, you know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so they, they became visionaries, you know, even with touch 
touchpads and touch screening and, and so on. I read it in some of the book. I cannot remember the title now, but now it's becoming reality, you know? Yeah. Do you, do you remember the, the Motorola flip phone? So the Motorola flip phone was, you know, the, the, the Star Trek communicator. Um, and, and it became, like you say, the, the, the reality, you know, we had it in our pockets. Um, so I suppose that the next step is maybe the, the, the Star Trek badge where, you know, you kind of just touch your yeah. lapel and, and you're talking. But I, do, I don't know, Case, if it'll be computer-to-computer communication in the sense that we believe a computer now, mm. but, you know, like we've got one in front of us each, but the application-specific computing is, you know, maybe that thing in the lapel has all the computing power. Like we never, we never dreamed years ago that the smartphone would be there. And, and if you compared the smartphone to a, an IBM PC, you know, XT or AT type device, um, it, it is far superior. So that smartphone mm. and all of its power is is quite credible. And and younger people, you know, as we've been saying before, um, younger people don't really use that as a traditional telephone. You know, the the Gen Zers, Gen Xers, whatever they might be, they use it as a communication device through applications, other apps. You know, WhatsApp, Viber, um, you know, Microsoft Messenger, that kind of thing. For an older demographic they would still use that kind of a phone to to dial across the network. But the way pricing plans are and all of that kind of stuff, you know, the more savvy look to, okay, I can get unlimited data or I've got data access via a, a, an open Wi-Fi network and I can make all of my calls and have all of my communications in that way for free. So I think it's gone from going back to the the device that was hung on the kitchen wall. We now have the freedom of a smaller device that fits in our pocket and, and take it one step further, the younger demographic is certainly recognizing that actually it's a device I can fit in my pocket. And, and rather than that device now being attached to me, the actual communication is now attached to multiple applications because I've got some circle of friends or hobbyists or whatever it might be, you know, professional communities that operate out of Viber and I talk to them via Viber. Other ones out of WhatsApp and I talk to them via WhatsApp. You know, there, there's different applications for, for different communities of communication. And, you know, I think that's that's an interesting change. Yeah, and I suppose it, it, it's similar with, um, you know, the standard conferencing service providers. They're, they're seeing their minutes, uh, their PSTN minutes, rapidly convert to IP connections. And that was a trend. And I think, as you pointed out, um, Ola, um, certainly the, the trends were there for remote working and all of that. And, and they just accelerated. The trends were there in conferencing, weren't they? And they, they just accelerated. Yes, I do agree. And everything is changing, you know. Yeah. And, and it's probably changing at a greater pace than ever before, which is, which is pretty exciting in so many ways. Because it's easier too, you know, it's all about the time efficiency too, if you think about it. If you if you were to call into the meeting, for example, using your phone, you do have to grab your phone, type in, let's say if you were doing it manually, not from the app, from your device, you have to still, you know, um, enter the phone, then um, you get the prompt to enter the passcode and you have to do everything manually. While when you're, um, you know, joining the meeting directly from the app without, you know, having to dial into the meeting. It's just within the second. You don't need to do uh, loads of clicks. It's all about the time too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It is about the time. But I, I'd also add, so in in the simple days of pick up the telephone and dial, your, your connection was much more complicated in the middle. But at the end points, it was you dial, you dial, you know, somebody picks up at the other end and you have a conversation. Whereas for us right now, all, all three of us are, are 
speaking via our, our respective laptops. And in doing so, like I've elected on this occasion um, to use a wired microphone. Um, I would often during my business day use a, a wireless Bluetooth headset. And, and I, know, I know that, you know, if I'm walking around and moving within my office space away from my, my laptop, that becomes a factor in terms of my own quality of communication. I know today as well that, you know, we're sitting here in Ireland and, and our audience hopefully can't hear the wind howling out around all of us, but we're in the face of Storm Barra at the moment here in Ireland. And uh, it's one of those, what they're calling a weather bomb, um, which is a huge drop in atmospheric pressure um, over the course of a few hours. And I believe we've also got um, astronomical tides where the, the gravitational pull between the moon, the sun and the earth is at its max. Um, so there's flooding, there's wind, there's torrentials, and that's impacting our, our, our internet services as well. So on a normal day, I would be out in my office, which is connected via a microwave um, internet service, and I've chosen now to be in here where I'm, I'm, I'm in my house on, on a fiber connection. So all, all of these little decisions kind of feed into the quality of the conversations that we have. And then obviously once we get onto the internet, all of our packets need to be joined up into this conversation somehow. And I guess a lot of stuff can go crazy in that middle point as well. And the other thing is you have the options. So you can choose between them, where in the past, perhaps you wouldn't have that options to choose between, you know, whether you're going to stay in the house and use that type of connection, or whether you you, you, you can, you know, be in the office and use different type of connection, if you get me. That's true. That's true. We're spoiled. And, and I know if, if everything fails around me, and I was ready to kind of brave the elements, I, I could drive not too far and I would pick up on a solid, hopefully on a solid 4G connection, and I could still communicate from a, a business perspective or private perspective with whoever I needed to. Um, the trend is definitely, I think, toward device to device, maybe not call it computer to computer kind of communications, but whatever those smarter devices happen to be, um, and, and those might be, you know, unique depending on the application. So uh, particularly this time of year as we face into Christmas, couriers um, have these little, you know, handheld devices that, that scan barcodes and whatever. You know, the Uber style app that has inbuilt communications, you know, could find its way into those devices as well. So that, you know, they're able to communicate with whoever is the recipient of a parcel. So lots, lots of developments that can and probably will happen. And a lot of it is now driven via, you know, WebRTC and, and that RTC, the real-time communications, just kind of emphasizes there are kind of unique challenges with any real-time application, particularly in a packet environment. You have reached Sorry, the number, the number you have dialed is not in service no longer... Do you know if your phone lines are working? Are your customers complaining of bad audio quality on your support lines? Spearline makes it easy to test your phone lines anywhere and anytime. To see how Spearline can help your business, head to Spearline.com. Now back to the conversation. When you think of contact centers as well, I suppose the traditional support lines, a lot of contact centers do a lot of support over social media and over chat or email, kind of minimizing exposure to, to poor connections at the, the agent's home workplace, which could be a kitchen table for all we know. It, it seems the big contact service providers, you know, for inbound toll-free um, that once had dedicated speciality sales teams, they now offer inbound as a menu item. So would this be the future for contact center support? I, I think so. And I, I think every business probably has its own strategic debate going on about, about how to approach customer care. 
Um, I, I've seen businesses that absolutely shepherd visitors through the website um, in, in such a way that they avoid contact with an agent. Because as soon as you bring an agent into the equation, you know, it, you're, you're consuming labor hours and, and that costs money. Whereas customers, if they can self-help, it's better. But again, there are yeah. certain products, you know, if you're if you're selling life insurance or or whatever, you know, somebody wants, again, to have a conversation. It's sort of hybrid model, too. Um, it's not only, you know, via social media, but it all, it's also this human interaction aspect as well as you can see more and more bots, uh, this AI assistants that are able to, um, you know, help us that are able to assist the customers. That's a good point. And, and, and I think there's, there's probably a growing um, acceptance of those because, you know, so many people are used to these home assistants now, the, uh, the series or the Alexas or whatever that, that help them play music or look up recipes in the kitchen. And that kind of conversation with a system interface is now being much more warmly welcomed in a customer service process. So if you phone into the bank and you have a conversation which is a human-like conversation with a system interface and, and check your account balance or get a new credit card ordered or whatever it might be, it's very acceptable where that wouldn't have been a few years ago. And a few years ago, it would have been a very robotic kind of voice experience. And, and some of those voice bots that are out there right now are very, very impressive. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because I was looking at getting a voiceover done for a video recently and came across a lot of AI voiceover technology, um, text-to-speech type software. So it's not fully there yet, but it's really progressing very quickly and they're getting the proper inflections and tones of a voice to make it sound natural. So I think the future will be AI talking to people on support lines. Yeah, I suppose they, they have to find... They have to find a way to make sure that AI isn't talking to AI or something. And, and yeah, I think there, yeah. there's, there's been little little episodes where bots have been talking to bots and getting caught in conversations. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that seems to be um, where the future is going. So, you know, if we look forward, it seems one future might be that the smartphone holds a range of applications, um, each with their own embedded communications. I, I, I do think that consumers will still want to and enjoy a conversation with a business at some point. So, and, and, and we know certainly that while you point out case that, you know, the, the inbound services is no longer the specialty area and, and big business that it once was for contact center services and all of that, it's still very, very relevant. And 800 numbers are really important and they give um, the market a, a sense of, comfort and confidence that, okay, this, this is a legitimate business and I can get through to somebody should I need to, if I decide to make a purchase with them. Yeah. So it, it's still there. And, and look, there's also, we've talked about the young generation and, and they're young and, and they may not have the spending power, you know, yet that another demographic that's out there today does. Um, and, and it's the older demographic that have perhaps the, the, the greater level of spending and that older demographic are very much, um, growing up with the concept of a phone number. And that concept of a phone number is going to probably go to the grave with all of us. Um, we, we know what it is. It's comfortable. Whereas the younger generation just look at that phone number as a, a device registration number. They don't use it to dial one another. If they do, they don't know about it because it's from a phone directory that's plugged in. You know, when I was young, we used to, well, actually my, my parents would have grilled into me. 
you know, memorize this phone number because if you're ever lost or found <laughs> and you need to say it to somebody, you know, return to sender by going to this phone number. Um, you know, we used to remember everybody's phone numbers. Yeah, I was just and, going to and, say and, that because we were the same. Yeah, you'd, you'd remember yeah. all your friends, um, everybody that you needed to know, you'd, you'd know their phone number off by heart. Yeah, that's <laughs> I it. Know we can't remember name. anything anymore. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but that's, the, that's the difference. I think the concept of the phone number is still there and there are businesses who are serving demographics that will cling to the phone number um, and they will want to use that. I'll call it the, the the PSTN network, though the PSTN network is transitioning, isn't it? It's it's kind of blending and blurring with the the internet, with the advent of SIP and ISDN kind of being phased out, and and the original switched um, telecoms network be becoming now packet switched. Uh, but those those people who want to have that comfortable experience of dialing a number will certainly continue to do that and and there's a lot of life left in that concept um, but in another generation or or two certainly that concept of a phone number will i think change drastically i don't know if it'll disappear but it'll change yeah i i agree definitely um with pstn and isdn would it be a long time before something like that would be phased out? Because I presume there's still a lot of legacy technology that would still rely on those kind of things. It's not like it would just be phased out completely straight away. From the user perspective, um, well, you know, we can we can look at it from two different perspectives. So it's going to be provider perspective that will be, uh, you know, offering anything that is not PSTN or ISDN networks. But from the user perspective, you know, the older generation, again, they, they, they will think that they're using a phone. But the way the call travels is going to be completely different than, you know, than it was, if you yeah. get me. Yeah. yeah, and actually from the, from the provider's perspective, I know, geez, in, in going back over the last number of years, uh, investment in telecoms networks has been significant in, in, in countries where the network needed the investment. So what you find now is places like, like Portugal have a fantastic mobile network that, that reaches uh, rural communities, coastal communities, you know, everywhere um, that it needs to. And they have not invested in the um, fixed line infrastructure, and then you look to you look to places like like Germany that had very strong fixed line infrastructure, and and they've been kind of sweating the assets, you know, trying to uh, make sure they get every every drop out. Now at the same time, they've been investing in IP core and mobile telephony, but all of that, whether it's mobile or um, fixed IP kind of stuff it's it's all converging into this thing that is the the internet and communications are becoming an over-the-top application yeah yeah and in some countries as as um as mike said in some countries you'd have you know the preference to uh, there will be countries that mobile is um is widely used while fixed line isn't yeah. you know in Brazil, for example, mobile is, you know, highly popular, while the fixed line fixed line isn't. And it's because of, again, in-country infrastructure and then also, you know, the user experience and so on, as we know from our testing. And Ola, you were saying there recently, I, I think um, BT, you mentioned, were uh, putting an end, if, if that's the right word, to uh, ISDN connections by 2025 was it and, and everybody's moving to sip oh yeah bt is phasing out their isdn by 2025 
I know Germany, there, there was a big change to um, the communication move to SIP. Yeah, others are in that mix as well. So, you know, they, they, they might have been one of the first ones to announce it. But um, I, I think everybody is deprecating some of that older technology and encouraging investment and that, that transformation into SIP. And, and communications at a country level, you know, countries are competitive entities themselves. And it is seen as a very competitive thing for foreign direct investment and just the maintenance of business and the economy. So every country is, is looking to make sure that they get their own competitive edge by making sure their communications networks are up to scratch. And I suppose it all shows that there, there is a trend towards device to device or in-app communications. So um, you, you touched on it earlier, Mike, WebRTC. So WebRTC has been around for several years, but it's a central technology today. And Spearline had just, um, have just acquired TestRTC as part of our WebRTC strategy. What will this acquisition mean for Spearline? I, I would say it extends our value, you know, because our, our customers are, are very actively, obviously, using inbound services or they're, they're doing dial-outs um, to connect to their customer base. But uh, as mentioned, you know, more and more they're offering other channels um, to communicate with their customers. And, and that includes application-based um, avenues. Um, so, so we're there to support them in whatever their communication needs. And I'd say there, there will be a, a growing, you know, suite of applications in that WebRTC space um, that, that we'll get, you know, very excited about. Uh, and it'll be very interesting to see how, um, how that kind of blends with what we now see as that public network capacity and capability. If I can add here, we are incredibly strong now in test offerings because, um, as Mike said, um, it extends our you know standard offerings um, for PST and SIP um, testing, and now we can also you know um, offer um, web RTC testing for uh, for our customers. And we th we think um, a lot about this type of communication. You know the conversation that we're having right now, but um, the real time communication, the RT and the C that come together. There, there's a lot more that goes on in the world that demands real-time performance. Um, and, and video is an obvious one. And, and certainly in the last couple of years, there's been more webcams open than probably ever before. Um, hmm. But in addition to that, with the, the growth of telemedicine um, and other applications, there is a need for right now instantaneous kind of real-time communication, passing data from system to system, or site to site, or whatever it might be, um, to ensure that 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 critical services are, are kept online. Um, so all all of those things become um, applications that, again, because because we're going out into this very complex global network, and and commerce is happening from one corner of the globe to the next, and it's going through different jurisdictions and regulatory environments. The communications are. Um, it's it's really important that all of those paths and network connections are tested and verified on a regular basis, and that businesses know that what they're trying to achieve in their business process is achievable with the service arrangements they have in place. And you mentioned Alexa before, and um, 
as we all know, Alexa is one-way conversational device and it also uses WebRTC. So, um, yeah, sometimes we would not even, you know, be aware in how many or in what many places and, and what are the use cases of WebRTC that the current, um, you know, solution uses WebRTC technology. Yeah, and I'd say more more of it to come. And, and we are, going back to your your, your um, statement there about our, our acquisition of TestRTC, you know, the team at TestRTC have built up some fantastic technology, some fantastic um, customer base that are doing some really interesting things in that application space. And while it is one of those technologies that's been around for a number of years, it is its time to shine right now. And I, and I do think that the last year and a half to two years has really thrust it into the spotlight because of that, that adoption of the tools that are device-to-device orientated communications. Yeah, yeah. Exciting times ahead. So finally, we can safely say that voice has a future. People still like to talk to people, um, especially after multiple lockdowns and changes in our normal day-to-day. Is it fair to say that people are warming to voice tech with embedded voice user interfaces for self-service that are growing more sophisticated through AI? I think so. I've seen a lot more um, hype and excitement around the the concepts of conversational user interfaces. Um, I think there there are actually education programs now where, you know, a, a new generation of engineers and developers are popping up with specialties in that zone. Um, and, and I think that that concept of a, a conversational interface to a system is also seen to be much more inclusive um, because people with you know literacy um, issues or, or whatever, they can still engage in a process if they can talk to a machine, a system, et cetera, and, and, and kind of get their needs met and dealt with through that. So it will, it will be exciting. It will be different. I expect that with... Uh, 5G networks kind of propagating through the world over the next couple of years. Um, we're going to have real-time communications, uh, again, that are high definition, high fidelity, um, uninterrupted, higher quality. Everything is improving. You know, it's all more, 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 and better, better, better. Um, and all, to be fair, you know, to provide benefit. Um, to ourselves as consumers, um, to ourselves as business people servicing, you know, consumer markets. Okay, excellent. Um, Well, that's it for this episode. Uh, Thank you, Ola and Mike, for coming onto the show to share your insights. It's been a really interesting chat with you both. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Thank you. And that wraps up another fantastic episode. Massive thanks again to Ola for coming onto the show to share our insights and experiences. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms so you won't miss any new episodes. Visit Spearline.com forward slash the Spearline podcast so you can listen back to previous episodes. And don't forget to like and share on all your favorite social media platforms. Spearline proactively monitors phone numbers for audio quality and connectivity globally. Our platform enables enterprises and telecommunications service providers to test connectivity and quality on global telecoms networks, testing automatically at volume. If you would like to find out more about how Spearline can help you, please contact us at spearline.com. 
And for more insights and in-depth interviews like these, you can subscribe to the Spearline Podcast channel and don't forget to check out Spearline.com where you can find all of our latest articles, white papers and much more. Till next time, and thank you for listening to the Spearline Podcast. Podcast.